been wrong. And third, he has sacrificed a great deal to place justice and peace in the forefront of his life. Ladies and gentlemen, the Green Prince, Mossab Hassan Youssef. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please. Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? Well, standing ovation. I appreciate it. If I take your praise, I'll have also to take uh, their blame and their shame. Uh, maybe uh, in your eyes, I am uh, I'm a hero, but in their eyes, I'm a traitor. So uh, if I don't listen to them, I'm sorry that also I cannot listen to you. Uh, I got caught up in the uh, man's perceptual uh, ability, if I can say. And it's not easy to uh, reduce myself into a product, into a book or a movie to uh, explain my universal being. Because it's beyond titles, it's beyond doings. Because I came to realize that we are not what we do. I know this is like uh, Eastern uh, philosophy and many mystics taught it over the years, but truly we are not what we do. We are not what we did. And we are not um, the sons of our environment. My parents w meant for me something, and I choose a different path in life. Uh, you can say Muslim, but also you can say Christian. And here I am at a synagogue. You know, life is strange. And uh, the entire fiction of man and uh, its imagination is just a small drop in the ocean of life and existence. But what the son of Hamas is doing at the synagogue anyway? It's pretty strange. Uh, I think uh, maybe I was a bad Jew in a previous life. <laughs> and, uh, it's my destiny to uh, work out my karma. That's why I came back maybe in the household of a Hamas leader, you know, to, uh, to fix things up. Hopefully I, uh, my karma is uh, equaled now. I hope so. Uh, there's not much to add, and I know that you've been sitting here for a long time, so I don't want uh, to bore you. Um, all I can say, uh, if I let the witness, which is silent, the witness up there does not have uh, intellect or mind, but it has been observing this entire journey from Ramallah to San Francisco. Uh, many years I have witnessed all type of people, so many projections of man, so many faces, so many levels of consciousness. And uh, the poor witness has been just witnessing brutality, uh, some ugliness and some beauty.
yeah, I speak on its behalf. And we can go on projecting our lust and hatred on the other and blame the other, that the other is the problem. And this is the fundamental problem in the Middle East, that Palestinians blame it on the Israelis, many Israelis blame it on the Palestinians. I cannot say who's right and who's wrong, but I can say definitely that the uh, Jewish consciousness, the collective consciousness, I'm not talking about individuals, is much richer and mature. And I hope that at some point, Palestinian people, uh, Arabs, will be able to see the beauty uh, that the Jewish nation brought into existence. And I'm not saying this only because this is a Jewish congregation. I have my also problems with the state of Israel. I have my problems with some Jewish individuals. But I'm talking about the collective consciousness of a, an amazing nation, a small nation that gave a lot to the human family, overcame Holocaust, overcame oppression, death, and instead of taking revenge and blaming and destroying, it was able to build for itself a state and continue on shedding light in dark places in our world. And this is a great example. If Palestinian people, for a second, which, you know, I believe that the major mistake for Palestinian people, that they make a bad choice, a poor choice, they pay the price, then they blame uh, their failure on someone else. If they just look to their neighbors and what they went through and what they accomplished, regardless of all the hardships that life brought onto them, they can maybe learn a lesson how to grow up. Instead of blaming, be productive, move on, be, uh, be a good person. So the movie stopped around uh, 10 years ago, and my life has been going. Like my journey, you are part of it right now. And I'm not out there trying to change the world. I don't claim that. I think it's not possible to change the world unless we are able to change ourselves. Uh, the more we grow, the more we refine, it reflects and projects on the entire universe and the cosmos. But our attempt to go out there and trying to change someone's idea with another idea, uh, it's going to reach a dead end. This is not how it works. So why do I keep doing this? This speaking engagement, I'm st standing here and I'm talking to you, but mostly I'm talking to myself. And the, the journey continues. It's not over. It's not over when I left the Palestinian territories. It was not over when I had the deportation from the United States government. It was not over 
when I had the cultural shock, when I had so many uh, problems with the society here, the society there. Every day, crucifixion. If we choose to live in truth, we have to take so many hits. So many people will try to bring us down. You know, I thought that my enemy was only the extremists in Hamas organization, which I did not like them. And when I left, I thought the free world is going to understand them. They will understand where I'm coming from and my sacrifice and how many nights and how many dangerous missions, putting my life on the line, daily basis. Almost got killed sitting in a room with five suicide bombers with homemade bombs. Anything could have went wrong. But I had to do what was necessary to stop those guys from reaching many innocent people. And I thought, wow, once I share this with the world, they're going to praise me and say, wow, what a hero, and protect me at least, at least protect me. Instead, everybody was against me at some point. Christians in the Middle East, they said, oh, he does not represent us. He's a traitor. He's just using Christianity as a mask. Christians in this country they said, we're not sure about uh, where he's coming from and his credibility. They wrote blogs about me, criticized me, said unfair things, things never happened. The U.S. government wanted to uh, deport me. And I'm telling them, if you deport me, I die. Well, this is our book, or say, but somebody wrote this book. And we need to think outside of the book because it's a matter of life and death. But I am talking to a machine-like, you know. And I th for many years, I thought CNN and uh, the mainstream media in the United States has no limitation for their freedom, freedom of speech. And the only one who came out of the hill to tell the story of what's going on there gave up everything instead of giving them a platform, they destroyed them, crucified them. I was walking down in New York City, and I was like, wow, it's not that now I lost my family. And I was very successful uh, in destroying my relationship with them, but also I failed in building trust and friendship with my enemies. But this is something that I expected, but I did not expect it to be that harsh and that brutal. But going through this storm, what was really important is to look within. I had to give up on the outside phenomena. Not only the Palestinian society, also the Israeli society, the American society, every society. I was left alone, I was on my own, I realized that I was on my own. Nobody's there. The dark night of the soul. And once we get into this realm, it's very dangerous, it's very scary, but this is where we start knowing who we truly are. And this is where I learned my most important lessons in life. And that honestly began after the movie you watched. 
The movie, my life in the Palestinian territory is just a bunch of memories, pictures. Um, they are non-existence. And they're not of importance to me anymore because I learned they shaped my consciousness in a certain way. I reshaped my consciousness in so many different ways. And I keep on playing with it just like a clay because it's all non-existence. And uh, here I am. Uh, among you guys, I'm happy to be here. I identify with you. It has been an honor to travel uh, the world and hang out with the Jewish community worldwide. Um, they gave me lots of love, and I appreciate it. Um, again, it's an example of how much we can transcend, how many walls I had to destroy before I was able to stand here and talk to you as a family, comfortably. That I feel that I belong here. I know each one of you. I can see through you. That you're not just individuals sitting here. How many walls I had to destroy? That child who grew up in Ramallah, they wanted me to be something. They conditioned me in a certain way, programmed me, gave me values, beliefs, morals. They wanted me to be a utility in their system. They don't think that their system is wrong. They think that their system is the system. They think they have the supreme truth. Everyone else is going to hell. They are the only ones who go into heaven. They are the only ones that they have God on their side. Everyone else is going to burn in hell. Well, also many people and so many other groups think the same way, whether if it's in Christianity or other religions. Everybody thinks that they have the higher theory or the highest theory. And I'm sorry to say to all groups that if there is a truth out there, it is not in any form of theory or intellect or it's not a product of the mind whatsoever. The moment the truth is reduced to a theory, to a human language. It loses its essence. What I'm saying right now, I have to reduce myself, to reduce my journey into a speech. And this speech is honestly irrelevant to the truth because it all depends on your perceptual ability. And I cannot convey the truth using human language. It will always fall short. But for you as individuals, if there is something that we can see tonight that really happens regarding the truth, I'm not talking about religions now, truth itself, that it's beneath our eyes, but we are not capable of seeing it. Because we have so many conditions we have so many distractions, and we live in fear. We're afraid of our society. We are in debt to our parents, to our school, to the bank, to the state, to our friends, to our spouse, siblings, even our children. And we cannot breathe. Everybody is shocking us. And with those heavy attachments, 
We cannot see life for what it is. We cannot see God. We cannot see truth. We just live in misery. This is our reality, and nobody is willing to admit it. It's all happening with the name of freedom, and with the name of love, and with the name of peace. They're all just names, definitions. They have nothing to do with the truth, with the essence, and the meaning behind those words. I came to experience something that I cannot explain. It. But we always, no matter what rigid the system we are brought up in, we can transcend and we can find our freedom. Not the freedom of making a choice. They give us choice A, B, C, D. And when we make a choice, we, do, we think that we are demonstrating our freedom of making a choice. But we don't understand that true freedom is not having to make a choice at all. And true freedom is to be totally independent of existence. Things that move, things that don't move. Others, human beings, animal kingdom, and what's beyond. I'm not saying that we uh, neglect our families and our societies, and I'm not saying that. We can do all that while we're still in the society. But we understand that we are free, expressions of the divine. If we lose this, we lose, we lose who we are. It's possible. If you look at me, if you look at me 10 years ago, if you look at me 20 years ago, I am not dead. The more we refine our consciousness, the more we integrate, the stronger we become, the more power the divine will give us. My society is counting on me falling down. They are wrong. They thought I would be crushed. Even people here in this country, they are concerned about me. They, they ask me, do you sleep? I, I find those are very weird questions. Do you have security all the time? I don't have security on me. I mean bodyguards, because security is coming from within. Peace is not coming from outside. I don't have a health insurance. I don't have a house. I don't have a wife. I don't have a dog. I don't have a house. But I have peace. And that's the most important thing. We can find the light. No matter what happens in our lives, no matter how uh, much trauma we have to go through. Um, if there is a message, which you know I don't have a message. I'm just speaking from the heart. I did not even prepare those words before I came here on stage. Um, this is what I'd like to communicate with you individually, on an individual uh, level. No matter what you're going through, fear not. You're much stronger, and you can always get out of any situation, any situation, whether it's a government, family, society, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, existence is telling you something. Observe it, don't freak out. There is a meaning behind it. It's projecting something that is happening within. It has nothing to do with the outside. When I was in prison, among 2,000, extremists, I would say, I don't want to say terrorists, 
but at least extremists. I was at the most peace, peaceful state of my life. This is where I found my God, in that prison. I spent in total about 27 months in Israeli prisons. The first imprisonment was, the, was very hard. But later on, I learned how to find peace even in the most difficult situations. I think somebody's getting bored already. All right, I, I conclude. Um, the, uh, I'd like to conclude with a joke, actually. Something funny. An Israeli and a Palestinian working on the 10th story. And lunchtime came, and the Israeli guy opened his lunch, and it was a falafel, and he said, I said, no more falafel. If tomorrow my lunch is falafel, I'm going to jump and kill myself. The Palestinian opener was a shawarma. And he said, I said, no more shawarma. If tomorrow is a shawarma, I'm going to throw it and jump and kill myself. Next day came, they opened their lunch. The Israeli guy found falafel. I said, I said, no more falafel. And he threw it on the side, came fast, jumped, died. And the Palestinian opened and said, I said, no more shawarma. He threw it on the side, came fast, jumped, killed himself. At their funeral, the Israeli wife was crying very hard and saying, I don't know what's his problem. If he told me he did not like falafel, I would have made something else. The Palestinian wife was crying very hard, bitterly, saying, I don't know what's his problem. I don't know what's his problem. He makes his own sandwiches. <laughs> I'm glad you found this funny. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming here tonight. I think we can take some Q&A. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he's agreed to take a few questions. And as Terry goes around with the mic, I do want to thank Rachel Schoenwetter, who works on our staff, for really behind the scenes making this all happen. Yes, I have a two-part question. Uh, the first one is, do you think your actions had a positive effect on the Palestinian people in the way that you envisioned when you started this journey? And the second part is, if you had to change anything, what would you have changed? Uh, a positive. I don't know. I mean, I don't care. Probably uh, it made them think. You know, I don't know what you mean by positivity. You know, I'm sure that was a big shock for everybody. You know, they're not used to see someone coming from uh, what they consider a good family uh, and um, expose themselves voluntarily, say, I worked for Israel and I'm not ashamed of it, that kind of thing. They're not used to it. Maybe this made some people think it was like a shocking thing. And that was the purpose at that time. Uh, to awake some people from their sleep. Uh, if there is uh, any fruit coming out of this, I don't see it yet. But this is our problem with time, that uh, I might not see it in my lifetime, but it's a seed, and eventually it's going to be a giant tree. Hopefully not an ugly one.
would you approach things or would you have made the same kind of decisions and pursued the same? Well, I think I made the perfect choices. Simple as that. Um, I, I don't have the energy to descend again and try to change things from the beginning. What happened, happened. You mentioned, uh, and I saw a really deep interest when you passionately began speaking about this idea of truth and that so much of us in our day-to-day -day routines, we suppress uh, finding this truth. Um, when we put aside these things and we open up ourselves to finding this truth, what do you think that experience might be? What type of conclusions do you think we might come to? You know, I have to apologize. I did not understand a word you said. Can you say without the mic, please? Just without the mic. <laughs> said you talked about a truth. That's much better. <laughs> yes. Okay. And I saw that you were very passionate in speaking about this. You changed the subject, but I was really intrigued in that. I think it's the reason that you um, found so much ambition to do what it is that you're doing. And for the same reason that you say so many people have this day-to-day -day routine that they get stuck in, that they're suppressing this idea of truth, is the reason why it's so hard for so many people to do what it is that you're doing. Yeah. What is it you think that people would find in that moment of time that they chose to do what's really hard to do and put everything aside and just observe everything, humble themselves and observe this truth? What do you think it is that they might find? What is it that you found that I feel like you want to be kind of vague about? Um. You know, we're like, um, like cell phones. Imagine like cell phones, and uh, there is like a signal going around. And if the cell phone is turned off, it's not going to receive the signal. And if it's the cell phone is dying, you know, or asleep in delusion, and the, uh, not prepared to receive the signal, um, we think that there is no signal. But practically, there is a signal out there. And the signal is unseen. It's uh, experiential. Uh, and it's not intellectual. Like, uh, I can describe to you how amazing the chocolate is if you never uh, taste chocolate. You know, and I can write books about it, how it tastes like, and uh, try to define it in a human language. But uh, it's not going to be like when you taste chocolate and experience it. So basically, um, what people can experience, uh, first of all, they're going to know that we are not our bodies. That's first. Um, and uh, our energy fields are beyond, uh, like our capacity uh, energy-wise is beyond our daily function of driving a car and sitting behind the desk. Uh, some people have tremendous amount of power that I witnessed throughout this journey that I cannot even share right now because it's going to be considered myth, but I've seen it like uh, in my own eyes. Um, once we prepare our physical body and we purify it from all the toxics of the society and the conditioning of the mind and withdraw from the senses, they're like in certain moments we can perceive and uh, feel the uh, cosmic energy. Uh, some people call it the Holy Spirit, some people call it Kundalini. They have so many different names to it. Um, but like basically, we start to realize that we were just asleep. And in a moment of awakening, we start to realize that um, 
we are not our names, we are not um, our titles, we are not our jobs. We're just basically um, a very powerful, very powerful um, beings in the form of man. Uh, those are the things that I can talk about for, for the time being, but yes, there is a whole realm or realms beyond what we can perceive in our own eyes. Hi. Hi. Yeah. It's a privilege and an honor to be with you here this evening. Thank you. Do, do you mind please speaking without the mic because... Yeah, sure. Can yeah. you hear me? Yes, I can. I can speak loudly. Sure. I said it's a privilege and an honor to be with you here this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had the opportunity to live in Israel from 81 to 85. And um, I, I, I drew a few conclusions of my own that I, I don't want to spend too much if time. If there is just a question, please. Yes, yes. Like, question. Question. The question is, do you see a path to peace in the near or even distant future? Okay, thank you. Um, look, peace is a state of being. It's not a state of mind. I used to think that it was a state of mind, but it's a state of being. And it's the responsibility of each individual to find it. It's not an agreement between politicians. You know, they, there can be like a ceasefire. Uh, and we announce and we celebrate that there is no war anymore. Uh, which means that there are no airplanes dropping bombs anymore. But we actually never had peace. If you look at all the warrings between uh, the human family, is they're basically uh, what's so-called peace is just a ceasefire between two wars, and it's a preparation for war. Real peace is a state of being that is attained by an individual. And this is by dropping ego, desire, lust, hatred, and fear. If you live in a state of delusion and you just obey the mind, whatever it tells you, and you are following the fluctuation of the mind on a daily basis, how can you have peace? There's so many distractions. You cannot even breathe uh, because you think a lot and you're living in a, a realm that is non-existence rather than being. So speaking of peace, first we need to define what peace is. You need to understand what peace is. If you do understand what peace is, you would have not asked me that question. I don't know. I did not do my statistics. Well, give me something this way. When you're talking about people in West Africa, right? Yeah. There is a percentage that are voiced in media saying we completely agree with Israel. We are completely behind it, but they can't do anything and they hide themselves behind a mask. 
Okay, if I tell you 95% of the people are good and 5% are bad, is this, no, will this make any difference? It's not, it's not brainwashing as, you know, it's like there was a brain and the brain is washed and there is like another brainwashing. It's, it's basically conditioning, okay? They are the byproduct of that environment. If you grew up in Ramallah, if you grew up in Gaza, there is a big chance you would be a Hamas member. It's a human nature. This is what we are struggling against. The human condition does not differentiate between Palestinians and Israelis. But the Palestinian side, they live in the delusion of the 7th and 6th century. And the tribal lust for power by the means of the sword, by the means of the gun, is dominating on that mentality. And they are not separated from us. They're just our projection of the past. You, if you think that you are evolved consciously, when you look at them, you're basically looking at yourself and a projection of you of the past. You're looking at yourself. It's our reality. They're not separated from the human family. What happens there is affecting us, and they struggle against the same conditions. So practically, we need to, uh, the mind is trying to uh, uh, make it easier for us to calculate. How, what's the percentage? Well, we cannot measure it that way. It's not a book, it's not a number, it's a human nature. It's bigger than the ocean, it's bigger than the universe. So practically, when we look at the uh, situation, we should not try to uh, figure it out. We need to look at it. I don't want to open this into a conversation. If I understood you right, this is all I have to say regarding to that situation. We take one more question, please. Thank you. Yes, you can. <laughs> and I can hear you. Yes. So practically, I just didn't do something stupid. It's my, the worst enemies are within. They're not coming from the outside. You're not worried about any reprisal. You haven't gone into witness protection. Yeah, I, I, got, I, I got your question. People well, know where you are, but you're not, you're not worried about Well, if, if you're willing to, to sell a couple of your assets and give me the funds to, uh, to buy security on a daily basis, I probably will do it. Um, well, I don't need security, and I am not worried. I'm not worried, honestly, about anything from the outside. The only thing that I'm worried about is this. This is what scares me the most. And sometimes it takes charge, you know, and it happens every now and then. And I don't like when it's in charge, because I want to be in charge, not the mind. That's the worst enemy. So. 
Realizing that, realizing it, not just understanding it, realizing this reality, then you're not worried about anything outside. Everything outside is just amazing. It's an amazing ex uh, existence. We live in paradise. But our reality that we create for ourselves is a product of our mind and its choices. If it's poor choice, it's a poor reality. It doesn't matter what's happening outside. Uh, yes, yeah, this, this gives you the advantage, huh? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you for saving lives. I want to thank you for saying the wonderful things about my people, you know, to me and the poor most especially in front of my children. And I wish that someday there will be children for whom you will be the father, because children deserve to have a father like you. Why you curse me? <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I wanted to ask a question. There was a time I joined the Palestinian women in Jerusalem, being Israeli born, raised here, because I was so uh, upset to see the division. But then there was a time also that I saw Palestinian women that did the suicide bombs, ones that have, uh, with the filmmaker, said that there was the right uh, to, uh, you know, bring back, you know, that whole uh, idea of the Palestinian people and continue this kind of hatred. And then I realized it's not a woman-male thing like I wanted to believe once. Mm. I wanted to think that women were able to go beyond that because we're able to create and give birth to children, but that isn't the case in Israel. As you know, it's so much more difficult and complicated. So the right. question is the question, thank about you. the suicide bombers. Is there really a pressure on uh, women, men, children to have these suicide bombs? How much of it is really pressure? It's not percentage I want. I mean, seriously, you were able to go above this. It's not typical. You're a, a person like Gandhi. You know, you're, you're okay. been sent here beyond that. But I mean, most people are not Gandhis or like you. Will I take the Gandhi thing as a compliment? Yes, of course. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, you know, there, again, it's, it's conditioning. When there is like those unseen, invisible forces of any society, you know, the unwritten law, the subculture, what people believe is right and wrong, when a whole nation considers Israel as an enemy, and by hurting that enemy, they get credibility and uh, recognition in their society. So there's so many forces working together. Some people go and take revenge, uh, commit suicide because they're ashamedful, or because, I mean, ashamed, or because they have some guilt, or they're trying to escape. Somebody give them a promise, you're going to heaven. So each individual has their level of darkness and delusion. It's not only one motive behind it. It works all together. We call them the forces of darkness. They are non-existence. They're just absence of light. When there is no light and the person lost sight, they don't know who they are anymore. It happens here also. It happens everywhere. Yes, please.
Thank you. I just had a question. So you've been exposed to some of the most extreme violence in the world and also some of the biggest religions in the world. And I was wondering how big of an effect you think religion has on violence. And, um, and you obviously still hold religion to a very big import in your life. It's very important to you. So I was wondering how you think we can lessen violence while still maintaining religion, if you think that's possible, and just kind of... Well, wow, this is a very big question. <laughs> I'm always uh, um, fascinated by uh, the intelligent young people, truly. Um, theory in general, which is, you know, religion, is, is, is a violent thing, because each theory thinks of itself as superior to other theories. And um, a thought or an idea that becomes the theory, then the theory becomes um, uh, a system, then the system wants to protect itself, then the system might be offensive, then it becomes violence, uh, whether if it was legal or illegal, uh, individual violence or group violence. Um, thoughts, if you think about the origins of uh, of the theory, which is thought. It's violent by itself. It takes your inner peace away. Now, all religions preach peace. All religions preach peace, but preaching it and practicing it is two different things. If there is a true religion in this world, is this the last question? If, the last one. If, if there is a true religion in the universe, it would be the religion of truth, of understanding and realizing the oneness of all existence. The oneness not only of the human family, also of the animal kingdom, also of the plant kingdom, of the cosmos. You know, Earth is very small comparing to the galaxy and the thousands of galaxies. We're very small. So practically, a true religion will take everything in consideration. It's not partially true. It's the truth, the whole truth, um, in its totality. And unfortunately, all the religions that we have, we inherit from our parents, from our synagogue, mosque, church, everywhere, uh, all dependent on our perceptual ability. They're coming in the form of human language, whether you hear them in Hebrew or English or Latin. or So basically, they're not going to project a perfect image of the truth, the supreme truth. It's the responsibility of the individual to take the human language, digest it, and soon later transcend it and be in uh, truth. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Listen, I want to, in closing, with, with uh, 250 people come out on a Sunday night to hear the Green Prince. I want to thank everybody in this time of Hanukkah, this time of the lights. I just want to thank a light who shined upon us tonight. We appreciate you coming out of the Israeli Action Committee's work. Thank you. Sure. I think, uh,